Oh, thank you, Chris and team. That was excellent. Um, thank you for leading us. Uh, good morning, everybody. Um, in Hebrews 10, we find the author encouraging the readers to continue to do things that will build and strengthen their faith. And in verse 24, we read this. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds. Um, this past week, we got to celebrate the completion of another Awana year and the achievements that those students accomplished. And as we work with children and their journey following God, we look to train them in God's word and help them to live it out. One of the things the church that we should be doing is encouraging these kids, and not just the kids in Awana, but all the children that we see in the church, to continue to study God's word and live it out. And um, I wanted to get a representation of how many um, kids participated in Awana this year, but I forgot to mention the fact that I needed that slide that dismissed them to not happen before I got up here. So (laughs) I'm not going to do that at this point in time. But I also uh, wanted to share, Awana offers opportunities for clubbers outside of weekly meetings to do and participate in events. And one of those that I wanted to recognize um, was the Awana Quizzers. And we had two clubbers compete in quizzing this year, and I don't see them here right now, but um, Asher Groff and Amanda Shear, and both took first place this year um, in their areas. So if you see them, just encourage them in the work that they are doing in that. And then we also had kids who participated in Awana Games this year, and our games crew took second place this year at the Awana Games. And here you get to see some of the faces. Um, but when you see them, just encourage them in their learning of God's word. And in there, not just learning it, but then doing it and living it out as we continue to invest in those who are trying to follow Jesus. Um, and this morning, I also get to celebrate kind of a completion of another thing. And uh, this morning, um, one of the ways we invest is through investing in students who are looking to go into full-time ministry. Um, Daniel Jones will be bringing God's word to us. Um, Daniel's done something I spent 10 years trying to do. He got youth in the front row. Um, <laughs> Congrats. <laughs> but Daniel has been serving in youth, um, leading our junior high, and as an intern here and serving in various other areas over the past couple years. And personally, it's been great to watch him grow in his passion and desire to serve God. So Daniel, if you come on up to join us, um, and I will pray before you get started. Lord God, just thank you for the opportunity to, um, as a church, invest in the lives of others. And, and Lord, together as a body, we're supposed to be equipping and discipling um, each other. And I just pray for Daniel this morning that you would calm his heart, calm his nerves, um, help him listen to you and say the things that you have laid on his heart. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. All right, so... Uh... I just want to say thank you to uh, Pastor Greg for giving me this opportunity, and thanks to Pastor Mike for allowing me to work in youth. It's been a real blessing, and uh, thank you all of you for, you know, eagerly sitting in the front row. So, thank you. Um, and I also like to thank my parents. My parents are here. Yeah. It's exciting. With my grandmother. Finally decided to come out and visit me. All right, so I'd like to pray before I start. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for bringing us all here. Thank you for this morning. And I thank you for the word that you've given us that we can really dive into and learn from, Lord. And I pray that you will give me the words to speak today to say what they need to hear. And that someone will be able to take something away from this sermon, Lord. And that they will see their need for you and how great you are. And thank you for all your blessings. 
In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So it's kind of actually slightly inconvenient that my parents are here because the story that I wanted to start with uh, kind of snitches on me and my brother a little bit. So as a child, you know, you have those constant competings with your, competitions with your siblings. You know, you fight. I have three siblings, two older, uh, sorry, an older sister, an older brother, and a younger sister. And I remember being little, and I was not very skilled at things that they were. So whenever I lost, I would... You know, try to get him in trouble for it, because why not? Um, but there was always this impulse of mine to kind of snitch on my siblings. You know what I mean? Like, whenever they did something wrong, I wanted mom to know about it right now. Right? And I remember one particular instance that um, my brother and I used to go to this guy that lived down the street. His name was Scott. And we used to tell our parents that we were going to play Star Wars Battlefront 2. That was true sometimes. Sometime, most of the time we were playing Halo, which we weren't supposed to be doing at that time because that was a rated M video game and we were too young for that, right? But it's cool, I can say it now because I'm 20 years old and I don't live at home for most of the year. <laughs> but I don't think I'm getting any more help with college tuition. <laughs> but I remember my brother was a genius. He included me in this. So I couldn't snitch on him because it put me in trouble. But I remember one day I was really mad at him. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to snitch on this guy. I've had it up to here. So I walk in the house and I'm like, mom and dad, do you know what we did today? And Tim almost tackles me. Just like steamrolls me. And Tim's like, oh, don't worry about him. It's nothing. He then later is sitting there. He's like, dude, you just don't snitch. That's just the rules, right? And I said, I don't care. So I snitched on something else, and I remember I got in trouble. I'm snitching on my siblings, and I'm the one that got in trouble. How does that make any sense? And I remember with all the piety that a child could muster up in utter indignation, I yelled, that's not fair. It's not fair. To which my dad commonly liked to tell me, in the calmest way that you you can tell a child this, If you wanted it to be fair, it'd be an eternity in hell. So what would you want? Yeah, that put me in my place. But there are many times in this life that we want to declare that something's not fair. Or we we question God because something he does or doesn't do just doesn't seem fair. Well, today I feel like I really kind of addressed this through the text. So if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to Ezekiel 28. We're going to be looking at verse 20 through 26. They're also on the slides if you'd like to just read those. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, this is speaking to Ezekiel. The word of the Lord of me came to me saying, Son of man, set your face toward Sidon and prophesy against her and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Sidon. I will be glorified in your midst. And they shall know that I am the Lord. When I execute judgment in her and am hallowed in her, for I will send pestilence upon her and blood in her streets, and the wounded shall be judged in her midst by the sword against her on every side, and they shall know that I am the Lord. And there shall no longer be a pricking briar or a painful thorn for the house of Israel from among all who are around them who despise them, and they shall know that I am the Lord. For says the Lord God, when I have gathered the house of Israel from the people, 
among whom they are scattered, and him hallowed in them in the sight of the Gentiles. Then they will dwell in their own land, which I gave to my servant Jacob. And they will dwell safely there, build houses, and plant vineyards. Yes, they will dwell securely. When I execute judgment on all those around them who despise them, then they shall know that I am the Lord. So I read out of the New King James Version, because clearly it's the best version, right? So in case you guys are a little bit confused, that's why. So a little bit of background. The book of Ezekiel was written by the prophet Ezekiel. And in it, he judges, or he writes prophecies that God judges against other people. He has prophecies against Tyre. He has prophecies against Sidon. He has prophecies against Egypt. And he has prophecies against Israel, too. There's some pretty graphic stuff in Ezekiel about the disobedience of Israel. And Ezekiel is writing down this one against Sidon in particular. But it really shocked me, because there's almost this contrast. You have the prophecy against Sidon followed immediately by the blessing of Israel. And if we look at God's judgment, and he he says the phrase, and you shall know that I am the Lord. He says that in verse 22. And they shall know that I am the Lord when I execute my judgment. In verse 22, we see God is against them. You know, I think we sometimes forget that God hates sin. We live in a, in a time that's very difficult to say something against people because they always get offended, right? You're, you're stepping on my rights. I'm offended. I, I don't like that. It makes me uncomfortable, right? But we forget that God hates sin. I had a friend back when I was 16 years old. She was, she was my best friend. But she was a lesbian. And I remember telling her, in the, be- at the, in the best way that a 16-year-old can handle it, God doesn't condone what you're doing. And she said, oh, but it's okay, because God loves me. Yes, that's true. God does love you. He loves all of us. But God still hates sin. We can't just focus on the love of God and forget about the judgment That's like leaving out half of his personality. We can't just focus on love and not the judgment of God. And then in verse 23, 23, we see terms like blood in the streets, the wounded, judge, sword on all sides. There is no escaping from the judgment of God. If God has said that you are going to be judged and prophesied against, you're going to be judged. There is no escaping it. And this isn't just a slap on the wrist, don't do that again. This is hard. This is rough judgment that we're seeing here from God. And then back in verse 22, we see again, God is glorified in judging. God is just and must be. It's part of his nature. You know, I, uh, I swam in high school. I swam for five years. I was pretty good at it, sort of. But there were things, I could not swim butterfly to save my life. Does anybody know what butterfly is? Yeah? Yeah? Okay. That's the thing that made Michael Phelps famous, well, in his amazing ability to swim. But butterfly is, the, in my opinion, the hardest stroke to swim. But I could not swim it legal to save my life. I look like more like a caterpillar or something, anything else. But I remember there were times where I couldn't get mad at the people that were disqualifying me. Because I'd dive in, I'd swim my butterfly, I'd get out just to realize I'm being disqualified for it. And it's like, but he's doing what the rules are. He's not bending the rules. He must disqualify me because I'm not following the rules. 
That's just how it works. I didn't like it, but it made me work harder to try to do it right. However, we also see God's mercy. Because while God is a just God, while he is a God who judges sin, he is also a merciful God. In verse 28, I'm sorry, in verse 24, we see that there is no pricking briar or painful thorn on the house of Israel. God is removing oppression from them. At this time, God is, sorry, at this time, Israel is in exile. This is not a fun time for Israel. But God's removing that oppression from them. And then we see, we see in verse 26, he talks about dwelling safely, building houses, planting vineyards. And we see God fulfilling the promise of giving them land. And then God is also glorified in these blessings. And you will know that I am the Lord. God is, is glorified in his judgment just as much as he is in his blessings. And something else that's interesting, if you look at what God is giving them back, it goes opposite what the... Uh, all right, so God made a covenant with them. It was called a conditional covenant. That was, if you follow me, you get these things. We see that in Deuteronomy 28. But for disobedience, if you broke the covenant, there was famine in the land. There was oppression, and then there was ultimately removal. Israel disobeyed. And so, there was famine, and there was oppression, and then there was removal. But we see here God is undoing all of that. We have the famine going away, because we see vineyards being planted in there. And there, we see the thorns going away, and there's prosperity within the land. We see the oppression going away because God is going to bring them back from the exile. And we see that God's giving them back the land that he promised them. God's undoing what was done in judgment to them. He's blessing them because of their obedience. But when I read this section the first time, I almost got a little heated. I was like, but, but what gives? Why in the world is God destroying Sidon but blessing Israel? I didn't, how did that gel? That's not fair. For God to be destroying Sidon, but blessing Israel. How does that make any sense? Well, (laughs) first thing you know is that God made a covenant with Israel. I brought that up, right? It was the conditional covenant that God blessed them. As I said, Ezekiel can get kind of graphic when he's talking about Israel itself. He actually describes Israel as a harlot, running around with all these men doing disgraceful acts. That's how God describes Israel in just a few chapters before this prophecy. And we, when we see Israel, they're, they're playing the harlot. They're doing vile acts. They're worshiping other gods. To the point of even sacrificing their own children. If that's not disgusting and horrifying, I don't know what else is. But by the time this prophecy rolls around, Israel's been in exile. And if you were cast out of a land in the way that they were for your disobedience, I think that would catch your attention a little bit. So by this time, we see that Israel is kind of turning back to God. 
We have people, examples like Esther, Daniel, and his friends, Nehemiah, and Ezra. And we see these people coming out of this time, out of the exile, who are devoted to God, who are calling for repentance of everybody and leading the charge in some of those things. So Israel at this time makes sense that they're being blessed because they're obeying. But let's look at Sidon, right? They're being punished. Now at this time, this prophecy is being stated, Sidon's actually in a time of prosperity. They're doing really well for themselves. Sidon and Tyre both are doing really well for themselves. They're worshiping false gods, having a grand old time. Did you know that Jezebel, the wife of Ahab, the woman who is affiliated with all evil, was from Sidon? She came in from Sidon and corrupted Israel with King Ahab. If Jezebel sets the tone for what Sidon was like, I don't want to go to Sidon. Because that sounds terrible, honestly. But so at this time, we have, we have Sidon, who's been disobedient and is still being disobedient. And they're to be judged. And then we also have Israel, who was disobedient at one time. But now they're turning back to God. They're repenting. That's one reason why God is doing this. It's because of the obedience of the, of the countries. Disobeying God never gives you anything good. It may give you good things in this life, but ultimately will not. I also want to address our biases real fast. So, how often do we want a stricter judgment for someone just because they annoy us? I know I'm guilty of that. For example, I work at Sheets of Mannheim Pike. Some of you guys have seen me there. Yeah, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. But you guys know this in particular, right? There's a car gang that likes to come out and hang out in our parking lot. I have no idea why. I don't understand the idea of... Like, they would do this in the middle of winter. They'd all get their cars together, they'd sit in the parking lot, and they'd smoke and drink, and they'd just sit in the parking lot in the freezing cold. It's like, what are you guys doing? Like, don't you have a house you can go to or something? But they're sitting outside, and they're loud, they're disruptive, they're harassing our customers, and a lot of times they come in and they just shoplift. And it's like, can you leave us alone, please? I'm just trying to do my job. And usually at that time when they're around, I'm having to go outside to collect all the trash so that way the bins are you know, empty. And for the most part, they leave me alone, but there are some times where they'll like, start harassing me. And I'm like, dude, just, I'm just trying to get paid. Like, <laughs> just leave me alone. And so my coworkers, we like to do this thing where you know, we call the cops on them. They love it. My coworkers love it because you know what? The cops start coming. They say, you all got to leave, and they all scatter like a bunch of cockroaches. It's great. It's fun to watch. But in reality, they're sinning, right? Yeah? But am I really that much worse than them, if you really think about it? I mean, what separates me from them, really? Not much. I'm a sinner, and they're a sinner. And James... The book of James tells us that if you keep the whole law and you stumble at one point, you're guilty of it all. So, according to God's eyes, I'm as guilty as they are. So my bias doesn't matter. I wish I'd like to, I'd like to see them get a stricter judgment. It'd be kind of fun to see one of them hauled off. 
But is that really what they need? Another reason that I want to point this out is that God is not completely fair by our standards. (laughs) Because if God was fair by our standards, then we'd all be destroyed. That's a hard pill to swallow right there. If God was completely fair, we'd all be done. Me first. You know, the Apostle Paul talks about him being the chief of sinners, and I don't know what that makes me. (laughs) But God doesn't give us what we deserve. I mean, we all deserve judgment from God. We all deserve destruction. We should be like Sidon, unable to escape the sword that's coming upon us. However, he doesn't do that. Lamentations tells us, through his mercies, we are not consumed. Through his mercies, we are not consumed. If that's not incredible, I don't know what is. And there's a story. Um, if anybody knows uh, J. Vernon McGee, yeah? Yeah, my dad loves him. Um, so, of course, I've had to listen to him a couple times. But there's this one story where someone brought a verse to J. Vernon McGee and said, this verse really bothers me. I just, can you explain it to me? And, and he says, oh, yeah, sure, what's the verse? And the guy goes, the verse says that God hated Esau but loved Jacob. I just, it feels weird to me that God would hate anybody. To which J. Vernon McGee replies, oh, my problem with this verse is that God loved Jacob at all. God does not answer to us, but we answer to him. I feel like oftentimes we expect God to give an account to us. God's the creator. I'm just a created being. In, in, Daniel, in Daniel chapter 4, it tells us that God cannot be restrained and no one can ask, what have you done? God is perfect. God's will is perfect. God will carry out his judgment, and God will carry out his blessings. But if we want God to be completely fair, we should all be destroyed and separated from him forever. However, we are not, because Christ was. There's a quote from a song that I like to listen to that says, The beauty of grace is that it makes life not fair. Jesus took all of it on the cross. All of it. Through God's mercies, we are not consumed because Jesus was. You know, the Bible talks about our sin being like a mixture that's being put into a cup. And it's sitting there churning and bubbling. And we add more and more to it and make it more bitter and more disgusting. I personally love a good Mountain Dew myself, as the youth group well knows. But this is not that. <clears throat> For God to be fair, we, are, we should be forced to take that cup and drink all of it. But we do not because Jesus did. I like, there's a quote from a song that I really enjoy. Because you guys know I like my Christian rap, right? So I had to fit that in here somehow. 
But there's a quote from a, a song by the name of a guy by, by a guy named Lecrae. It says, "Under the sun I'm found. We were left to drown. Evil abounds. Weight is pulling us down. No sight of sound impaired to his care. Chasing after the wind, running after the air." Deserving of desertion, servants of destruction, and every day we taste of a grace that we're unconcerned with. My sin, I should be burned with. I'm guilty, filthy, and stained. But he became a curse, drank my cup, and took my pain. And for that he reigns, and through faith I'm changed. And I don't have a reason why he loosened up my chains. I don't believe in luck. I believe in grace. Jesus took that cup and downed all of it. Jesus died in my place and redeemed me from my terrible fate. I should have been judged like Sidon a long time ago. I should not be allowed by God's standards to be up here and preach to you guys because I'm not perfect at all. And I can't sit here and claim to be perfect. But because of Christ's work on the cross, I am blessed like Israel. Jesus died for our sins. Jesus died for my sins. And that's not fair. Praise God. And as we leave here today, I want to encourage believers in here. Uh, Jesus promised us a hard life. He never said it was going to be easy. But he does promise us victory in the end. Just one more song. (laughs) has a phrase that says, I've read the back of the book, and we win. (laughs) It's hard now. And we may ask, where is God's justice? Those who disobey are on borrowed time. And we all have to give an account for the deeds that we do. And they they have to give an account, non-believers have to give an account, and we have to give an account as well. But as believers, we're rewarded for obedience. In Corinthians, God, or Paul talks about that what's real will be shown by fire. It's this idea of as we're going through our life, we're building a house, a pile, with, with our deeds. Not our good deeds that are not redeeming us, because we already discovered we can't do that. But he talks about with the deeds that we do, we're building this house. And I like the idea of God is walking up and setting it on fire. And once all the smoke leaves and the smoldering stops, all that's left is the good stuff. The diamonds, the gold, all that stuff. And everything that we do in our life builds this house. How are you building this house? What are you building it with? Are you building it with disobedience or obedience? I'd like to get to heaven and be rewarded pretty well. I really enjoy to hear, good, well done, good and faithful servant. However, I'd also be good with uh, just the line from Babe where he just kind of looks at him and goes, that'll do, pig. I'd be okay with that too. <laughs> but as believers, we are called to obedience to Christ, and that will ultimately result in blessings. For those of you who are not believers in this room, I want to ask you, Do you want to be blessed like Israel? Or do you want to be judged like Sidon? Jesus saves. That's as plainly as I can say it. 
And if you're here today and you haven't made the decision to follow Christ, I ask you, why have you not? What's holding you back? Why are you sitting there still holding the cup of wrath in your hand, knowing that you're going to have to drink it at the end of your life? We could follow, we, you can make the decision to follow Christ, to allow him to drink that cup of wrath. If you'd like to make this decision today, please talk to me, Pastor Greg, who's in here, Pastor Cortez, or anybody else on staff. They would love to sit down and talk with you. We'd love for you to join them, family believers. And we'd love for you to be spared from that wrath. God doesn't find joy in his judgment, but he must do it. And God is also glorified in that judgment, but he's also glorified in your salvation. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word, Lord, and thank you for all that you've given us and all the blessings that we do not deserve you lavish on us daily. And I thank you for the cross and the grace that you've bestowed upon us. And I pray, I'm I'm thankful that you do not consume us every day, that you give us another day that we might turn towards you and obey, Lord. Thank you for the promise of the rewards that we might get at the end of this life. I pray you will just work in our spirit and pull us towards obedience. And those who may not believe you, Lord, I pray that you will work in them and bring them to you to repentance, to be included in the blessings that you one day promise us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.